Hey guys and welcome to the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. I'm your host Ben Hucker. Great to have you tuning in today. If you're tuning in for the first time, then I hope you enjoy today's episode. But what's this podcast all about? Well, we tell the stories of doers, thinkers and creative people all up and down the surf coast in Australia. There's a lot of talented people from the city, country and the coast and we wanted to get their stories out there. So... One such individual who's got a pretty awesome story is a Californian, the third Californian actually that we've had on the podcast since season one began, but episode nine today, season three with the owner of TalkFit in Torquay, a very popular gym here in Torquay, Mr. Ryan Rao. So Ryan is a former AMA motocross champion. For those who don't know, that's like the, the pinnacle, I guess you would say, of motocross in America. So if you win that, then you're pretty good. He won that at the age of 20 just before the global financial crisis hit. So uh, he filtered out of the sport, eventually met his lovely wife, Erin, without giving too much away. He ended up working in Torquay and opening up a gym with Erin. They now run TalkFit in Torquay, in addition to Surf Coast Pilates in Torquay as well. So he's got a fascinating story and a lot of support from his wife, Erin, and son, Jax, as well, who's you'll find at the end of the episode is a big part of the inspiration for what he does. Can't wait to... Get this episode out there. And once again, I'm your host, Ben Hucker. This is the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. Hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hucker. With me today, Jess Mallington. Welcome, Jess. Thanks, Ben. Good to be here. Great to have you here today. You're a little bit nervous today. I am nervous. Interviewing one of your bosses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please welcome, big warm welcome to the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast, Ryan Rao. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Great to have you here today. Appreciate your time and your busy schedule. So looking forward to a chat today, given your background. I've just given our listeners a really quick intro about your background and all the rest, so keen to hear more about your story. But our first segment on the Surf Coast Creators podcast is our Breaking the Ice segment. Are you ready? Um, I think I'm ready. As as I be. <laughs> Everyone knows their own story, so it yeah. should be fine. <laughs> it's just a little segment for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better, so... Question number one, I can tell from your accent, where were you born? Um, I was born in a little town called Redlands, California, kind of like straight straight east from LA. That probably explains, I think that's a big motocross area, isn't it? So that probably alludes to your career as a motocrosser. Yeah, in, in Redlands, I think kind of that whole area east of LA, a lot of people ride motorcycles. I was exposed to them pretty early on. I think because the area and the terrain, there's a lot of hills, rolling hills and, and things like that. So there's a lot of free riding that goes on there. Yep. And that's kind of how I eventually, or that's how I started in the sport. Yeah, I'm keen to chat about your, your career as a motocrosser a little bit later on. But question number two, so question one, where were you born? So Redlands, California. Question two, your favorite activity to zone out? Favorite activity to zone out? It'd be cycling, I think. For sure, cycling. I actually chuck on a podcast, go ride for a few hours, and that's pretty much my escape, get my training in as well. So, yeah, I would say that's where I would zone out. Tuning into the Surf Coast Creators podcast? Yes. I, <laughs> recently, I have, actually. Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Have you got any favorite pods that you can list off? Probably the top of the list would be an Australian cyclist, Mitch Docker, and his, oh, yeah. his called Life in the Peloton. Uh-huh. which I think is now part of the cycling podcast. It used to be kind of standalone. I think it's been acquired, but um, he speaks really well in his <laughs> topics or the way he delivers questions and stuff. He's just really easy to listen and kind of relate to, I think. So yeah. whenever he puts a new one out, I must listen to it immediately and in, in some form of training, while, whether it's in the gym or out on the bike on the road. Yeah, cool. And he's just interviewing pro cyclists and people in the cycling community. Yeah, exactly. So teammates, rivals, you know, maybe staff on his team or different teams, directors, things like that. So it gives you a bit of insight into the sport. Yeah, we might have to check that out, given that I'm a pretty avid cycling fan. But they've had a tough year, the pro cyclists. So anything to sort of keep that community together, I'm sure is beneficial. Yeah, definitely. It was a tough year probably as a pro, but as a spectator, it was kind of good because all the racing got compacted into a few months' time. So you had, you know, three grand tours back to back to back. That's and right, was too. All the monuments, and there was a lot of stuff to watch almost every day. So that was as good as a spectator. Yeah. It probably sucked as an athlete <laughs> within it because it probably felt like you never had an off day. Yeah. Yeah, imagine doing the, the Giro, then backing up for the tour, and then doing the Velta straight after. Like, that's brutal. Yeah. I don't know if, I'd be interested to know if anyone did all three this year, this year in such a a short period of time. Like that would be a feat. 
Yeah, actually, we'll have to check on that. So that'd be quite a feat. Yeah. But uh, question number three, full-time, we usually ask, are you a full-time or part-time creative? But in your case, full-time entrepreneur? Uh, yes. Pretty much all my time is spent working on the business or in the business. So I'm either here teaching classes, teaching PTs, or I'm at home, you know, doing programs, kind of doing the administrative side of things, or back here kind of doing the janitor maintenance side of it as well. So there's there's always something to be done. There's never a day off. So, so. Do, doing the cleaning as well? Yeah. Well, there you go. The commitment and sacrifice of an entrepreneur. And actually, just when I got here, you were talking about doing some videos and editing videos and all the rest and, you know, the time spent on that even, you know, working out how to edit, so from janitor to video creation <laughs> to social media to it's everything all-encompassing. Yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, you wear many hats. And so, yeah, it's trying to balance those, but definitely a lot on my plate always. Yeah, in addition to your partner, you yeah. haven't mentioned yet, Erin, as well. So Erin puts in a lot as well for the business, doesn't she? So Yeah, exactly. So Erin's the other half of Torque Fit and then also kind of our sister company, if you want to call it that, with Surf Coast Pilates and yep. then her venture through this summer with a pop-up studio um, in town. So three locations running for summer has been, you know, a lot to bite off, but we're, we're managing to an extent. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on there by the sounds, so I came to chat about both the studios that you have going on. I actually did a class at Surf Coast Pilates when it first opened up in the first week. Yeah, the pop-up Pilates. Jess has been teaching a few classes there, so we'll chat about that in the coming up in the the rest of the episode. Question number four, are you a camper or glamper? I would have to say I'm a glamper only because when I think of camper, I think someone that's thrown a tent or since moving here and learning the term of you know swag that's what i what comes to mind somebody that's camping is doing it proper in a tent or a swag i have a a van that's a pop top yep so i've got a bed up top so that to me i guess would be glamping i'm not really roughing it yeah probably probably erring on the side of glamping i guess because you're not really exposed to the elements at night exactly i can shut the doors throw the top up and I'm, i'm pretty much protected or you know yeah, not exposed to the elements and, and whatnot. Yeah. So, and, it, and then when I wake up, I can literally just pull the roof down, put it in drive, and I'm gone. There's yeah. no no setting up the tent and dealing with pegs or, yeah. you know, whatever. So I guess I'm a glamper. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I think it's half half, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's hardly, yeah. you know, it's a, the traditional glamping where is kind of, I guess, what is our definition of glamping? I don't know. We need, <laughs> yes. we need an in-between now. Huh? Yeah. There's a new category. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Camping, glamping, or somewhere in between. Man, life. So yeah, you're basically yeah. putting up the pop top and off to bed. Is yeah. Is there a dirt bike attached on the back? No, I actually don't even own any motorcycles anymore. Um, I haven't raced or ridden for some time. So for me at the moment, it's um, keeping mountain bikes or road bikes um, in the van. And so that's kind of like the garage essentially and then sleeping above it. And yeah. So everything's locked up wherever you go and it's yeah, pretty cool. good. We do get a lot of van lifers that tune into the episode. So what sort of van are we talking? Um, it's a Mercedes-Benz Marco Polo. Oh, nice. So it That's... comes with a few different seating options. The bottom seat actually will fold into a bed as well. So you can sleep two there and then pop the top and sleep two up there. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's really convenient. It's usually just me, Aaron, and our son, Jax, when we go camping. And we can get pretty squeezy and just all three of us sleep up top and then leave the bottom as is because it has a little table as well so we can like basically eat in the van if, if the weather is bad and then not really set anything up or move it just jump up go to sleep yeah, yeah cool how old's Jax? Jax is five he's five big shout out to Jax I'm sure he'll be tuning in with his mates so <laughs> actually you're saying just before the podcast that he won a bike race the other day he's only five years old yeah so he's pretty competitive already as well he definitely gets that from Aaron and I she was a racer I've been a racer and yeah so at five Aaron was playing Moto Mom, took him to a, a mountain bike race out at the Yu Yangs, the Dirt Squirt by the Geelong Mountain Bike Club. Mm-hmm. And it's a great event. And so, yeah, Jax won the under six category. All right. So, first podium finish? Um, he's won a few. No, he's, he's done he's like pretty a, well. Season veteran. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he finds himself towards the pointy end 
Quite probably more more often than when I realize that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, right. So you've, you've passed on some athletic genes, you and Aaron? Yeah, I ho- hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been like, yeah, what else? Another podium. Well, he, was, he wasn't really sure where he placed. And for the under sixes, it's more of like this participation thing. And he's already at the point where he's like, no, I want a podium. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want participation. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't, he got nothing but like a, you know, ribbon, which is, you know, fantastic. But then yeah. they send you an email later once the timing, cause they wear like a little timing chip in the number plate and yeah. the timing comes through with his lap times and where he finished and just said, you know, place one. And he was, I told him that and he was wrapped. So oh, yeah. cool. it was pretty cool to see him so excited about it. Did you take him to Macca's afterward or something? Actually, there? I don't know where Aaron took him um used to be a happy meal back in the day if yeah you know, like, best on ground at footy you got a happy meal voucher yeah i like that <laughs> that is a good reward i don't know where she would have taken him i was racing at the same time so that's why i wasn't there she drove out took him to a race while i was racing and we kind of all met back home after lunch so yeah cool that's good to see that you passed on yeah that that uh penchant i guess for lifestyle and activity and getting out there and being a part of community events as well so Keen to talk more about that coming up as well. So question number five, your favorite TV series? Favorite TV series? Um, I had to think about this one. And I, I, I guess I'd say Narcos maybe on, on Netflix. Yeah. Aaron and I kind of go through watching different series together and then one of us will like play ahead and then ends up just being like that person series and then the other one's watching something else entirely. Um, yeah. Narcos is a good one. We recently just watched The Boys on Prime. Oh, yeah? And that one was pretty pretty good as well. So I haven't seen that one yet. What's, so what's that about? It's kind of a spin or a take on uh, like superheroes, but if they just showed them as like everyday people with powers, essentially, I guess. Yeah. Something, yeah. something to that effects. So it's a bit of a drama, but with superheroes. and So, yeah, it's, it was pretty good. Yeah. At first, I was kind of hesitant. And I was like, oh, I don't know if it's going to be just like some cheesy knockoff of, you know, like a Marvel movie or something. Yeah. But then it, it has its own genre entirely. Yeah. Um, it gets pretty full on in, in parts, but <laughs> it's pretty good. Might have to check that one out. I'm actually looking for a new series. I think we've yeah. just about expended all of our energy yeah. on the TV series during COVID. So we're looking for a new one. That yeah. sounds good. But uh, Narcos, well, I think we watched season one, season two. Kind of drifted in season three. Kind of lost sight of it. Just same, kind of same old, same old. Yeah, I think from memory there was like three series based on Escobar, wasn't there? Yeah. And yeah. it's been a while for me as well. I, I was into it. And then they had the whole other one where it went like Narcos, Mexico. That's it. Yeah. Um, which was good as well. But definitely I, I agree. The first two seasons were really good. And then I think by the third they were just stretching the storyline yeah. out a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it's like any series. I guess you start to sort of people get paid to come up with a series and... Probably Game of Thrones is, is the only exception, but yeah, the series tend to get a little bit less and less and less instead of getting better and better and better. I actually have to say, now that I've thought about it, um, Jax and I watched Mandalorian and we got stuck into Mandalorian. The, Ma- the Mandalorian, yeah. and um, that one was really good as well. That's good to know. There's a couple there to check out. So, question number six: Was the first place you would go for coffee in Torquay? Salty Dog, for Salty sure. Dog. Yeah. Just that you're on the beach. I think they've got the best coffee in town as well. And You have a dog as well? I do, yeah. Two dogs, a German Shepherd and Australian Shepherd. Oh, cool. Not that they get to tent- make the trip with me very often because usually they just be a trip from teaching class here straight yeah. down, get a coffee, and then maybe go home. But, yeah, Salty Dog would be my go-to. Cool. A couple of big dogs there. Not little dogs, a couple of big, big dogs. <laughs> yeah. And my, my German Shepherd is, like, abnormally large for the breed, so he scares a few people at the beach. <laughs> so that's part of the reason I don't always take him is there's somebody at the dog beach that get a bit aggro Good by day. him running freely. All right. Oh, okay. Children yeah. get a bit scared. You say the children start to scatter and the parents... More and more the parents. Like, the kids are like, oh, I want to pet your dog. And he's <laughs> super friendly. He thinks he's like a lap dog. Um, yeah. But he's intimidating looking. So then... Yeah. As soon as I let him off lead, you know, people are like, put that thing on a leash. <laughs> so. I've actually spoken to Jess about getting a German Shepherd, but I think well, our backyard's they, a little bit too small. I'm probably that scared person. Like, I'm like, because aren't they really loyal to one person? Or? Um, he's pretty solid in our, our household. Like, 
he looks after me, Aaron, or, or Jax. Yeah. I did all the training with him. So I actually, we rescued him at like two months old. And then I did police canine training with him for about a year oh, and a half wow. in California. Yeah. And then he's come out with me and done the whole quarantine process yeah. um, when we moved here. But so he probably listens to me better than Aaron, but he's like a huge protector of Jax. Yeah. You know, like if, if Jax is swimming in the pool, he's on like lifeguard duty. He just cuts laps wow. around the pool. And <laughs> so he's really protective just in, in general. Yeah. I've heard that about um, German Shepherds. They're very loyal, very protective. Yeah. You just don't want to get in their way as opposed to you or, you know, jumping the back fence to... Yes, exactly. Intruders be alert. So yeah. Yeah, lots well, of good things. We don't need CCTV or cameras <laughs> or anything, do you? No. Nah. <laughs> I remember that was one of the reasons why my uncle used to have two German Shepherds. He said it saved him a fortune. Yeah, it would. I lived in Braybrook in Melbourne, so a pretty rough area. Yeah, right. But that, that was their security, so 24-7. <laughs> our, our shepherd, Bandit's his name, he, we have a, a glass front door, so you can see really right through the house. But when he's, and he's, we let him inside, he, sleep, he sleeps on our bed. Uh-huh. He's a pretty pampered dog. But it's gotten to the point now where even like the DHL drivers are afraid of him, so they drop the packages off well, like, <laughs> far from the door. And he, the door's shut, and they see him just looking yeah. at him through the glass, and so they'll just like leave it by the street and kind of wave and leave. So, <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Throw it out the window. Yeah. It's on the doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he sounds like a cool dog, or both dogs. So question number seven, probably a silly question in, this, in your case, but... We've had a lot of guests during COVID that actually experienced a real sort of growth in their business and transformation. But question seven, were you busy during COVID or a bit flat? Um, somewhere in between. We weren't super busy. We weren't flat. It was a real learning curve to try and keep uh, everybody moving through the lockdowns and stuff that we experienced here in, in Victoria um, and our clients. So we kind of self-educated ourselves on creating content to then give to the client so they could keep moving. So we were doing live classes, some days three to five classes per day through Zoom. Um, and then uh, we were also pre-recording spin classes, creating a workout library and everything. So figuring out how to operate the GoPro somewhat um, and mics and things like that and uploads and just everything that goes into that. It's a whole new world, isn't it? Video production. So yeah, I mean, you open social media, you scroll across the video, you don't think twice about it. You're like, oh, great yeah. video. But then when you're actually trying to create content, oh. you're like, the sound's terrible, the quality of the, you know, the video or the picture's blown out, or yeah. background noise, which you know we're experiencing with construction next door. So yeah. it's <laughs> it's always something that you're trying to figure out. And so there was, yeah, we weren't as busy as we are now post lockdown. Obviously, being back here and, and whatnot, but um. It was funny as during the lockdown and doing all these Zoom classes, I think as a way to try and keep them interesting rather than looking at the screen and me telling people to do reps or, you know, being the timer, we fell into this thing where we were doing the workouts, the full workout with the clients, which I'm sure the clients love because sometimes I'll write some pretty spicy workouts in the back and then they, you know, like, do you even do these? So when I had to do the workouts with them um, in the garage and some days it was like doing three workouts and I was ruined. <laughs> and by 5.30, I'd already done two or three or, you know, depending if I was doing one-on-ones as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we kind of fell into this trap, not trap, but for lack of a better term, we fell into this trap of doing the workouts with the classes or the clients. And yeah, during lockdown, it was good to revamp doing those workouts and movements and everything else. But um, How did you find the participation in the online workouts? Did you just use Zoom or something? What, Zoom, yeah. Use? So we just use Zoom, send out a link, use kind of our normal login service through MindBody for, you know, attendance and stuff to see who we were, how many we we're going to deal with. And initially there was a, a lot of interest, a lot of people in classes. And I think people just kind of lost the mojo of doing it in their garage or the living room. Or if you have kids and the kids are in and out of the video every 30 seconds wanting a snack or can you do it? So... Yeah. Um, I think some people struggled to stay consistent, but then we did have some that were like diehards, didn't miss it. So, and I think that helped them get through the lockdown. So, and you guys lent out all the equipment, didn't you, to the, to the members? Yeah. So when we had, I guess the you know the the update that we were going to go into lockdown and, and be you know closed, we 
we've got 16 spin bikes in here and I pretty much loaded them one by one in my van with a mate and we delivered them to clients all the gear in the back as well so pretty much if you came into the gym during that time there's one spin bike in here for us to film the videos yeah. in the back the dumbbells were gone the kettlebells were gone medicine balls were gone yeah. like some boat pretty much everything we didn't have much to, to actually utilize in the back yeah. which made it challenging when we were given that like 48 hour heads up like oh you can open in two days and i'm yeah. like oh now i gotta get a hold of everyone and go pick up every spin bike and get it back in here oh yeah so that was a big stressor so we were somewhere in between i guess going back we, yeah we weren't super busy but we weren't not busy and then uh, not an explosion of growth but sort of a real uptick after regulations uh became normal again so after regulations went away did you find that as well like people sort of dying to get out and do some physical activity and meet some people and yeah, absolutely. Might be normal again. It's it's funny as um you know it's like when you take a toy off a kid that they didn't even know they wanted to play with and then you take it but then that's <laughs> yeah. all they want. It was all the people that you know you'd say come come train come work out and like yeah 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 and then like as soon as you know you say no you can't train then like that's all they wanted to do. So as yeah. soon as they were given the green light, we had a huge influx of people wanting to come. You know with the original restrictions for capacity or attendance that made it tricky so yeah it was another learning curve there but there's definitely a pickup of interest everyone yeah wanted to get into it so it was good yeah it's interesting to hear our answer because i thought it would have been pretty obvious at the start you know you would have said total shutdown and no money coming in but there was some signs of life there and you found a way basically you found some new sources of revenue yeah exactly so you know, lending all the equipment out to everyone was pretty much our way of getting them to kind of keep their auto payments rolling. So I guess essentially it was kind of like renting equipment. So yeah, that that kind of helped us get through it. So fingers crossed we don't uh, touch wood. We don't go back into another lockdown. But you've got some systems and sort of ideas about how you might handle that next time around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess it'd be what third, third times a charm, third lockdown. Yeah. So we've oh, yeah. we know how to, I guess, have an idea of how to navigate it. The first one was a bit scary, letting all the equipment, you know, pretty much just go out the doors. And I'm like, ooh, that's, that's a lot of money leaving the building yeah. <laughs> with not a whole lot of security that it's, you know, going to come back in the same condition. But yeah. all of our clients are amazing, and everything came back looking, you know, pretty spick and span. So. Is there still demand for online classes, do you think, or just stop doing those altogether? I've had a few, a handful probably reach out from back home in California because now they're experiencing lockdowns and, and gym closures and things that have wanted links to our kind of workout library or, or asking if we're still doing live stream and stuff. But um, we aren't at the moment just because we don't have the time to yeah. teach all the classes and PTs and keep up with everything and then also somewhere in there do a live stream class, you know. When we first opened, when we got the okay here, and obviously Melbourne was still in hard lockdown, we would bring a laptop in and we could have 10 in the building and we'd set the laptop up so they could basically virtually join the class from the living room. And so we had a few doing that for a while as well, but that have eventually phased out and yep. seeing yep. as they're everywhere's back to normal for the most part, is not really the, the demand for it. Uh, perhaps in the next lockdown, but that's interesting that you say you had a bit of demand from mates in California. Probably a good segue actually into our, you know, going back to where it all began. So thanks, first of all, for participating in our little Breaking the Ice segment. We found out a few tidbits of information there. Yeah, so that's good. A bit to work with there, but take us back to California. What was it like growing up in Redlands, California, and how was life in North America in the, in the 90s and 2000s? It was good. The town I grew up in is pretty small. So mom and dad were split. So I grew up with my dad in Beaumont, which is... Really, the best way of describing it is it's a truck stop town on the way to Coachella. So, you know, off the 10 freeway, there's not a whole lot going on. Aside for for me, it was just riding motorcycles. So we we had six acres. Dad built us a motorcycle track around the house. So we'd get home from school and and cut laps and, and go racing on the weekends. At that time, there wasn't a huge population in Beaumont. It's grown now. It's still relatively small. But we could ride from our garage into the hills and go pretty much until you run out of gas in whatever whatever direction or petrol, as you guys would say here. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many bikes running on LPG, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> rather say literally any direction, take off and 
take off early morning, come back late afternoon? Yeah, if you if you planned it, you know, right. Sometimes it'd be you know taking like a little bottle of, of fuel with you and fill up where you could, and then you knew from there you needed the most direct way to get home, so you weren't yeah. pushing it home. Yeah, it was a lot of freedom in that. Yeah, so lots of fond memories of riding bikes with your dad. What sort of age did you start racing, and then sponsorship, and when did all that start to happen? I'm assuming you were a sponsored rider. Yeah, yeah, definitely had a lot of help, a lot of help along the way. So I started racing competitively probably about 10 years old, um, which is actually oddly enough late in that in that sport. There's majority of the pros that you watch on TV are starting at four or five years old, and you know still doing it now at you know however old 25 to 30 is kind of like the age limits on so on young, younger than jacks basically yeah exactly yeah. so i kind of started late in a way but um caught on quick we did kind of the the local amateur scene in california southern california is pretty much a mecca for forward racing motorcycles it's where everyone eventually once they turn pro and they're going to get a factory deal they all move to southern california because all the manufacturers and the big companies are based there so it's kind of the hot spot to be and, and be seen. So lucky lucky enough for me, I grew up there. Yeah, went went racing from the time I was 10. Did that through until I was about 14. And I had a, I had a lot of injuries in there. And I had a really bad one at about 14 where I ruptured my spleen. I had internal bleeding, had a really severe concussion, broken ribs. And at that point, mom and dad were kind of like, mm, I think you should maybe not do this for a while. So I took about a two-year hiatus and, and didn't race and then saved up enough money and when I was 16 my grandpa and I went down to the motorcycle shop and I bought a bike and we started racing again but kind of changed paths as far as disciplines so I grew up racing more motocross like you know a shorter track two-minute lap time something like that and then started racing off-road and, and desert and things endurance oh, yeah. so got back into it at, at 16 um, and I think trying to go back to how old I was by the time I won a AMA title in 2009. So I guess I would have been 20. Um, Do you want to put that into perspective for some of our listeners? So the AMA, American Motocross Association. Exactly, yeah. And it's like the holy grail of motocross in North America, if not the world. Like I know there's a big cup in Europe, but I don't know the exact name of it, but that's quite big. But AMA is it. If you're going to make it in motocross, you're going to win this thing, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the AMA is, is the pinnacle of, of the sport. Um, you're up against the best of the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. You won when? I won in 2009. Cool. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, the, a lot of different disciplines across the board. So, you know, like the, the ones we watch on TV would be, you know, Supercross, Motocross, or, you know, Outdoor Nationals. Um, I raced, like I said, a different discipline uh, in off-road. Uh, the series I competed in at the time to win that title was the Works Series, so World Off-Road Championship Series. Um, yeah, so I competed in that in 2007 for the first time. Did pretty well. That was really my first season racing off-road. I think I was 17, turning 18. Um, 2008, I was kind of riddled with injuries. And then 2009, um, went back to racing and, and put it put it together. Yeah, so what happened after that? So you won the AMA title. Was there interest from sponsors? And does that just change everything in terms of... You would think it would, but unfortunately for my timing, it did not. Um, in 2008 and nine, the sport was crashing because um, pretty much the economy was diving. Oh, yeah, and GFC. so, yeah. um, you know, in 2006, seven, eight, you can make decent money uh, racing week in, week out through contingency and, and manufacturer sponsors, promoters, um, pro purse money, things like that. Um, and then kind of about the time 2009 rolled around, it was almost like half the teams disappeared from the paddock. They really? just had no funding. The manufacturers pulled back. Um, so at the time I won the title going into 2010, there was like little to no help. So it pretty much killed the sport. It did, yeah. So, you know, you used to go to an event and, for example, you know, we'd have to do qualifiers to make it into Sunday's two-hour main event. Um, and you'd have two opportunities on Saturday, hour and a half qualifier race to qualify for the two-hour Sunday. And at that point, there would be 50 to 60 in each qualifier on Saturday. So you have over 120 trying to get funnel in to get into the top um, 40 to race on Sunday. Yeah. 
by the time 2010 rolled around, you could almost just enter. Like there just, there wasn't, nobody had the money to go to the races. Um, with manufacturers pulling out contingency, the risk and reward for racing wasn't there either because before you could go and make money to where now it was like you spent all this money to get to the event and you had to win to break even. So then you, for me, with all the injuries I had, I kind of was just, uh, by the time 2010 rolled around, I wasn't racing as much just from lack of, lack of support in, in the industry as a whole. Yeah. So completely drifted out of the sport despite your AMA title the, the year before. So. Yeah. And I think, I think 2011 would have been probably the last time that I actually raced an yeah. event. 2011 or maybe 12. I can't pinpoint it exactly. I think it was 11 though. So that was pretty much. I'd had enough, I had another injury, and, and that was it. Just one more question before we go into life after motocrossing. But um, Chad Reed, I know he's a massive rider in Australia and a very, very successful rider. He was getting big around that time. Did you ever race against him? No, never raced against Chad. Chad was a whole a whole other level to what I was. Um, yeah. You know, I like to think I was good on a motorcycle. He's, you know, next the next level. next level. He's uh, will go down as one of the greatest in, in the sport. Yeah. Um, He's one of the greatest Australian athletes of all time, but no one would know him outside motocross and a few other sort of niche industries. Yeah, because it is a very small industry, yeah. you know, the scope of it. So, yeah, you're right. A lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't realize that he is probably one of the, the greatest Australian sportsmen. Yeah. You know, to what, Greg Nick, Norman. Nick Dewan, yeah. In terms of what he's achieved in motorcycle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, no, I, I never raised Chad because, you know, Chad was always motocross and, and supercross, which I – I never really got into to that side of the, the sport. So um, I did cross paths with Chad kind of in my time after racing. So once I got into training athletes and things like that, then, um, you know, I, I've spent some time around Chad and, and hung out. So Good guy. Yeah, he is. He's, he's fun. Yeah. <laughs> he's, um, there's always a different perception of people when they're overseas, I think, in a different country. Yeah, definitely. So from North Americans, he's probably a completely different guy for us. Yeah, he would be, and I think um, the Aussie card works for him over there. Like everyone loves him for that. Um, yeah. There's actually another another Australian coming up right now. He's only 17, but he kind of will be like the next, I think, Chad as far as Australians racing in America and, and on that that kind of scale. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely he plays the Aussie card, so he's he's got yeah. a huge fan base because of that and. Um, also because he's just, he's a personality. So yeah, I think a lot of the, the athletes gets a bit boring and, um, kind of on auto tune on their interviews and, and things like that to where, you know, Chad had a bit of attitude and, and flair. Yeah. And so it was interesting to watch. It reminds me actually of a bit like Nick Fannin kind of just, he's a bit, he's pretty real. Yeah, exactly. How it is. A bit like Mikey Wright as well. Yeah. Very surfer. So but yeah, pretty raw. Did you know who Chad Reed is, Jess? No, sorry. Well, there you go. So you said you cross paths in fitness and all the rest. So where did fitness come into the picture? Um, so after I'd quit racing, I had a friend that was um, a couple years younger than me, but he was coming up kind of as the next prodigy in, in racing. Um, and he got in contact and just wanted basically set like a training partner, essentially. So he wanted someone to, to do the work with him. He, he didn't have the motivation to train by himself. And that, that side of it, whether I utilized it enough or not during my time racing, um, it, it came easy to me, like the, the cross training, the gym stuff, the running, things like that. Um, so I was like, yeah, it's easy, no brainer. So I started off as that, just kind of a training partner for a friend that was racing, getting his first contracts, big money. Um, which yeah, just kind of led into a bigger role that had a lot of gray areas and I was doing a lot of things, you know, training, um, I can actually operate machinery. So I was building and like maintaining, uh, tracks for him or working on the motorcycle or, or kind of a jack of all trades. Wow. Yeah, cool. So it got pretty fit during that. When did the idea come for a, for a gym? Actually, I'm guessing there was a part here where you met your lovely wife, Erin. So how did that come about? Um, so Aaron was doing all the broadcasting for huh. motocross and supercross. She was, in media. she was in media and I was training athletes, um, went through a stand of actually mechanicing for athletes and back in the training. And so we were traveling to the same location about 39 weekends out of the year, you know, flying to these little towns or stadiums, whether it was supercross, whatever. And so eventually we, we met through, um, 
through mutual friends at a barbecue. Um, The idea for the gym came probably the end of 2012. So I was working exclusively with, you know, like one or two athletes at a time. And that was it. I thought, oh, this is pretty good. But the problem with it is there's not a lot of security. And in racing, they'll say you're only as good as your last result. So if you haven't won the last race and you're going into off season, some of these guys are, most of these guys are head cases and they need to then reinvent the whole program. And so then that usually means, you know, new mechanic or new trainer or whatever the case is. So not a lot of security, no matter how hard you, you've worked or invested your time. Um, and I got sick of that side of it. So 2012, uh, into 2012, I think maybe even going into 13, we decided when I open our own facility that we can then put this kind of not sports specific training, but to a sense, our specialized training to the masses, to everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's that's where it all began. It just went all in from that stage on. Pretty much. It wasn't um, really sort of a, a side hustle or anything. It was just all in. Pretty much. We, Aaron and I both trained at a gym together. Um, you know, so back we started dating, we moved in together. We started training at a facility together. And that facility was basically like overnight closed, like with no heads up, no, it was getting bad. Just we had equipment. Um, Aaron had a little bit of a Pilates studio. That's where her Pilates thing began there. And he called and said, look, you need to come get everything. All this stuff's got to go. Otherwise, it's going to get seized. So we went in one night, got our stuff. And then, you know, we basically just said, what are you doing with the rest of it? Like it was a full gym, you know, and. He said, I don't know, I'll have to sell it. So we picked and prodded of what we could afford and bought most of it. And we were we were in the transition. We were renting a house, just bought a house. The house wasn't finished, but the garage was. And that was our first house that we had bought together. And we basically fit that garage out to be a gym while the house was still being built internally. And we took, not took, but we took on the the trainers that were there. So there was about four trainers that were there and they were going to be out of a job and they had all their followings. Um, and we basically just kind of relocated the running out of a garage. Um, where, where was this? This was in Southern California. So okay. in um, like Marietta area. So where, where is Aaron from? Aaron's from here in Torquay. Okay. That was, that was my next next question. How did you guys end up in Torquay? But yeah, Aaron brought you back. Yes, exactly. So once once we had Jax, um, and he was about two, it was kind of a a no brainer. I thought I'd rather raise him here, cruisier lifestyle, um, yep. by the by the beach. Um, yeah. So yeah, we fire sold everything when we made the move. Oh, cool. So what year was that? Um, we sold everything at the end of 2016. Yep. Um, had a VRBO house for about six months. Uh, and then moved here in June of 2017. What's VRBO? Like a vacation rental. Okay. Yeah, by, cool. by vacation rental by owner. So we just oh, got right. a vacation rental house that we rented for six months. Yeah, cool. And um, yeah, then made the move. And the gym went okay? Southern California? Yeah. So we started the gym. The gym started like in literally in our garage. And then from there, we found a location to open. We had a following, thankfully, and we had trainers. Um, we knew kind of what direction we wanted to take it. Um, we wanted it to be our own style of training and our own thing. We never really thought about doing, you know, there's a lot of franchises popping up. CrossFit's huge in America. We never really thought of going down that avenue. We always wanted it to be our way. Yep. Um, so we did that and we ran our, our gym there for 2013 through, well, the end of 2013 through 2016. And then we actually sold it to a client. So when we decided oh, wow. to, to sell, she came in and I think she was essentially bored. And she was like, well, how much do you want for it as <laughs> is? And we were like, are you serious? Because we were thinking we're just going to kind of like liquidate everything and sell it and then make the move. And she came in and wrote a check and here you go. And that was done and dusted. See ya. Awesome. Right. That's so good. So you sold the brands and everything. What was the brand for that gym? Uh, it was Torque Fit. Oh, it was. It was Torque Fit in right. in California. So you, there's no issues now with that, having that brand here in Australia. No, same branding. So it was it was uh-huh. uh, easy for us to then come here and yeah. and really the name applies a lot more being in Torque. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always thought the the brand was Torque, as in Torque. Torque. Well, that is a, essentially where we not. we came up with it. Um, it was partially that, and then my father-in-law helped us a lot with 
getting a business plan structured. He's pretty savvy with all that. So that's where I went with like, okay, what do we need to do to get everything in order and get our cash flow going, get a business plan going. And and his business was originally in um, torque wrenches. Aaron being from Torquay, there was all these kind of connections. And so we said, all right, torque, and we're going to call it torque fit. And then we thought we'd try and appeal to kind of our athletic backgrounds with the one being in the name. Um, little did I know that makes it a real pain whenever you're doing anything with any government or Shire or anything or anyone calls you for a bill and they're like, hi, is this Torque F1T? And I'm like, you got it. This is F1T. <laughs> but um, It's like a Formula One racing team or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's kind of where the all the parallels align for, for the name. Yeah. yeah, so Talk F1T going well now, quite a successful gym here in Talk <laughs> yeah. it's, it's quite well known too. It doesn't come without its challenges, as we know from talking to all of our guests on the podcast. What do you think has been your biggest challenge to date since 20, I gather you opened gym 2016, 2017? So we, we actually got this building um, January of 2018. 18. Um, and then opened shortly after that in 2018. So I guess we're going on three years now, short here in a couple months. Um, you know, we learned a lot from our, from our business in California. That one, we had um, a lot of employees on, whether it was part-time or not, the way we structured the business. We had 16 staff. Um, we had a lot of outgoing and a lot just to keep the thing going month to month, uh, to generate a lot of revenue. So we knew things just exploded too quickly, too big, too quick there. And so we knew we didn't want to do that here. So um, we just applied what we learned from the first first one here, kept it more low key, and um, you know that's been working pretty well for us. So I think the hardest thing, as always, is um, the networking here. Um, it's a small town. You know, with that being said, it's funny is everyone knows everyone, but then it's like you're still worth three years, and someone walk in and go, I didn't even know you were here, yeah. Yeah. and you're like, Yeah, three years still. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the, what makes it even better is they're like, I've been going to the swim school next door for three yeah. years, and I'm like, Wow, all yeah. right, <laughs> I need to stand out there and you know do a sign twirling or yeah. something. Yeah, it's like you don't even look sideways. So yeah, lots of networking and as you say, community. You can't really go hard on the sale, can you? In a community like this, no, and I, I think word of mouth and yeah, exactly. Like we we tried so many different things with marketing agencies in the states and learned the hard way that we we're just like dumping money away essentially, yeah. um, and it wasn't reaching the right demographic. So um, yeah, here really all we've done for the marketing side is is through socials. Um, Mo helped us get get rolling with that and, and get a really clean. Uh, look to it to to all of our social media stuff. Yep. Yeah. Shout out to Imogen Roberts who we interviewed on episode one of the podcast. So Imo is part of Alan Imo, the mm-hmm. 50% half of Alan Imo. So <laughs> custom made timber furniture, but also a very talented digital marketer as well. So yeah, and so that was one of the the first things that we did when we got here was just to get everything kind of looking uniform again, get our branding on point. Um, and, and then, yeah, just trying to get people through the doors. Um, and I think one of our, our biggest selling points, I guess, is that we're not pushy with selling yeah. things. You know, we don't, people don't walk in the door and we don't force something down their throat. It's, um, you know, try a couple of classes for free. Make sure you like the facility. You like who you're working out with. You like the trainer. If not, you should be able to go to every gym in this area and get a free day pass of, of some sort, whether it's a week, one class, something. And now there's about 20 places in this little town that you can go work out at. So you could probably go work out for two months for free, trialing all of them. And, and you know, if you come back here, great, you know, yeah. we'd love it. Um, but we have a, a good community, like the people that stick with us um, and come through the doors, uh, you know, they like, like the setup and yeah, we just have a, a really good, network or community here i guess yeah so it sounds like your biggest challenge was sort of moving back taking a step back not sort of growing and you know getting bigger and bigger and bigger it's kind of taking a step back going low-key getting that word of mouth happening exactly so it takes time too yeah it does and and i think the hardest thing sometimes is actually saying no which sounds silly but like everybody always has you know, their own time frame. Why don't you have more times yeah. for lunch? Why don't you have more times, more 915s available? And then you start trying to uh, appease every individual. And 
what ends up happening before you know it is you have 40 classes on the schedule with two people in each class because you're trying to make everyone happy. And then if you just say no, like, look, no, sorry, you can make the times that are on the board, then you end up filling those classes. And so it was, like you said, us pulling the reins back and going, no, like we're going to stick to our guns. We run 6 a.m. and 5.30 as our busiest classes. Um, If I start mixing in, you know, a 7 a.m. or a lunch or whatever, then I'm here for not that I don't mind it, but one person. Whereas if I say, no, I'm not going to throw that one class on because either I got to train it or teach it, sorry, or pay a trainer to do it. Um, you know, sometimes it just doesn't end up being worth it. So yeah, definitely pulling back a little bit. Yeah. It's finding that I've just read a book actually called the 80, 20 principle. I don't know if you've read it, but it's about, you know, you get 80% of results from 20% of your effort, but it sounds like you were finding that 20% of, you know, classes where you get 80% of your participants. Mm -hmm. So finding those classes and sticking to that. And the rest is kind of noise, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And just putting, money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just an operating cost essentially. And and then you almost get more complaints that spin off of that because then, you know, the person that said, why don't you have lunchtime classes and you put it on, they come and it's two people and then they come back and go, look, I'm not going to sign up because the classes are too quiet. And you're like, well, I've put the class on for you yeah. specifically or for this team that was supposed to come and didn't. Um, yeah. So you know, it's just almost like you're putting out a fire before it even starts. You're like, yeah, no, yeah. we don't do lunchtime, but we do do these classes. And I promise you're going to like it if you come give it a shot. And so then just putting a lot of energy and effort into making those classes happen yeah. and, and be energetic and have a good, you know, um, you know, feel to them, I guess. A lot of energy in the room. So yeah, yeah it makes a lot of sense. I know you had very similar issues just that you had to grapple with as a gym well, owner, So if I put in place the no... <laughs> I would have saved myself a lot because that was the biggest thing. I put on too many classes. I was literally doing 40 classes a week. And then, yeah, you have the problem with the maybe two in one class and the next class is full or booked out. But, yeah, you just you run yourself ragged, really. So you're better, better off just sticking with the classes that are going to be full and limiting. Yeah, and then just having a wait list because people session. don't show up. Like There's yep. always someone who might sleep in or kids mm. are sick. So they're going to cancel. And then that one person that you put on, put the class on for, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I could leave you two to it to talk about <laughs> ins and outs of gyms, but uh, obviously you had a bit of success now and you've got a new studio, so focused on Pilates. So Erin's studio, Surf Coast Pilates. How did that come about and how's that going? Um, that's going really well. So Erin, um, I guess, is what I would refer to as like a traditional Pilates instructor. Um it's kind of funny. There's a Pilates page, and I think she always shows me this. I think it's called the Pilates Snob or something to that effect. Yeah. And um, she'll post something, you know, doing a proper movement on a reformer and say, you know, this is Pilates, and you swipe, and the next one is somebody doing burpees at the end of the reformer, yeah. and this is not. And that's essentially kind of what I mean when I say she's traditional. She does it with the proper breath work. Um, she's do- using the reformer as it should be used, not as – um, you know, a three point for doing burpees next to the reformer and then back onto it. And, you know, so it's traditional Pilates and it's small scope. And since we've got five reformers, it's a small space, but you're getting like hands on attention, whether the class is full or it's just you, there's not 20 reformers because Pilates is something that needs so much critiquing and technique. You, you can't overlook it. So you can't put one trainer with 20 people on reformers and go, yeah, okay, cool, you know, do this with the springs or do this. Like, it's just asking for injury. And so that's, um, you know, where the Pilates studio came up. We actually started with this or at TorqueFit, all the Pilates equipment was here. And she kind of outgrew that space and we needed something to where it was um, a bit more private and she could just do her her thing. So you're kind of separating the brand from TorqueFit? A little bit, yeah. And, yeah, going well. So if you're looking for a new Pilates instructor or a class to go to, then make sure you get on down to Surf Coast Pilates. Where are they based? Um, so it's actually on the highway behind Strapper. Behind Strapper. Most people are in On um, Publa Street. Yeah. Even Melbournians coming down for the weekend, uh, make sure you, you drop in there and do a class. So getting up towards an hour on, very conscious of your time. So... We'll start to wrap up the episode. That's been a fascinating story today. It's gone quick. I feel like we've just sat down. (laughs) (laughs) Just getting started. Uh, Any favorite tools to stay on track? Keep your day running smooth. Um, Tools in the sense of what I'm using for booking stuff or... Uh, Yeah, software apps and 
Um, I guess one of our, our most used tools is just the, our merchant service through MindBody, um, just scheduling, trying to keep everything. If I don't put it in MindBody, like 90% chance I'm going to forget. So I have to do it quickly. Even when I think to myself, I'll remember that. I don't even need to note it. And then sure enough, I get a phone call like, hi. And I'm like, oh man, I've forgotten <laughs> that. So probably MindBody to keep me organized. Yeah. Yep. I know Jess then... used to swear by that app. So. Yeah, it's good. Definitely. Just for our listeners, it's like a platform for gyms to list on. So you basically go to this MindBody app and you as a consumer can find yoga studios, Pilates studios, all sorts of gyms, but you as a gym can list on there. And you basically, it's like an instant audience, isn't it? Yeah. Based on your location. Pretty much, yeah. So very, very handy. And then your the app the or the technology you use for the spin class, like the Oh yeah, so in the spin room, so in our spin studio at Torque Fit, we actually utilize so we all we have stages um stages cycling indoor bikes, which are all pa- Bluetooth power enabled bikes, um, which allow us to get pretty specific with data and if you're a data dork like me and, and training to intervals or, you know, serious into cycling or getting better, um, we have a system through stages flight where we can see in real time what everybody's doing on the screen. Um, it also allows me to then kind of plug and play intervals um, and everyone that's in here with their own profile, it's working um, specifically to them in, in their zone. So it's all relative. It's not just working as a general number for the class to where, somebody at the back that's a big strong guy is punching out this much watts and then we've got a little petite lady at the front that's not punching out the same watts it's all relative to that individual so yeah. um it allows us to get really specific with um with interval training so yeah, cool. i utilize that one monday mornings 6 a.m my class i call it breakaway so that's my interval based class um, we can also use that platform for doing indoor races and that then works off everyone's watts per kilo. So um, kind of a power to weight ratio uh, metric to, to then I can create a course that we're going to race from here to Anglesey and um, through the through the class, then we can see who who's worked the hardest to get there the quickest, yeah. essentially. So. so you can get really, really specific. What's it called again? Stages flight. Stages flight. Okay. And basically, that's, you can, as a consumer, you can use that app. Um, so it's, it's through subscription for, um, I guess facilities or, or studios. Yeah. Um, as a, a consumer, I think they have a spinoff now, um, that's called stages solo yeah. that I think you can then get like a tablet, download that, subscribe, and then that will be, you know, you can do it from home kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's really popular. Like I hear on the Tuesday, everyone will come in with sore legs and they'll be like, yeah, we had a. <laughs> big spin class yesterday I was you know you you're basically racing not racing yourself but like it's all your work put in over time and then you do fitness testing yeah exactly so kind of about every six weeks I'll retest the class because I have a, a, a decent following it's almost like a regulars group yeah. on Monday morning so about every six weeks I'll just almost like a pop quiz give them a new test and so uh, FTP test like a, which is a functional threshold power uh, it's a very shortened version, so we'll only do three minutes in here and then take between 80-85% of that. But the system basically auto-calculates that as soon as we finish that three-minute effort in the class so that the rest of the intervals are now recalibrated to your new zones. Mm. But it's also great because for that four- to six-week block in between, the whole goal of the class is to keep improving everyone's threshold. And so then when we retest, Yes, it's harder, but you, you know, you've staircased your fitness and yeah. what your power output is up yeah. and so your watts per kilo is going up everything. So, um, it's just a different take. I, I think it's the, the best way to keep an indoor, um, spin class interesting for myself because I, as I said, I'm a data dork. Um, but then we also have other classes where we don't use a system or the, the television at all. It's just based off playlist and kind of rhythm. So. We have a few different styles. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So you can get pretty scientific, as you say, but like the data is pretty deep. And that is kind of after four weeks, rather than saying, oh, yeah, I feel, I feel fitter. And, you know, I think I'm getting better. But you can actually look at the data and say, hey, your threshold's gone from this to this. Your yeah, exactly. Exploded. So you can, yeah, you can, you know, tell people that you've got a, a 10% increase over, yeah, over six huge. weeks. And, and the system too, once they create their profile, it emails them um 
basically results from the class with description of the intervals that we've done in the class immediately. So before they're even to the car, I hit save, boom, you can email, shows you what you've done. If there has been a power increase detected, um, so it is, it's very specific. It does, it sounds very cool. So stage first, solo. Is that what it's called? Uh, so the one we're using here is Stages Flight. Stages Flight. Yeah, and then it, they have a, a home version that's Stages Solo. Stages Solo. Yeah, cool. I'm sure there'll be some gym buffs and fitness fanatics that might check that out. Actually, good segue into a question. We posted this on Instagram yesterday and got quite a lot of likes and follows and everything else. But we've, a lot of our guests are into lifestyle and surfing and all the rest, and it's a big part of the reason why people move down to the surf coast because they want to get fit and healthy. How important do you think a healthy lifestyle is in fitness? How important, I guess, on a scale of 1 to 10, do you think that is for creativity, doing your best work, entrepreneurship? Uh, I think it's it's at a 10. Like, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's definitely a 10 because whether it's it is your creativity or it's your outlet to then allow you to, to think about, you know, to disconnect, I guess, from the, the day, day-to-day kind of routine and, and think about, um, yeah, that creative side or, or what you need to do, you know. So for me, um, getting out on the bike helps me then kind of gather my thoughts and, and think of what I need to do. And it just puts me in a better mood to get those things done. Like if I miss training for a day i'm a grump like really just even one day one day if i miss if i know i need to train for um you know an hour and a half today and i i skip that intervals on the bike i'm a grump until i get it done the next day because yeah i don't don't know if it's just like built up energy that i haven't expended or what but um getting that done puts me in a better mood allows me to, to be in a better um i don't know headspace to they get things done i uh, totally agree like i've had a bit of trouble sleeping lately and i've noticed that because i've been working so much run another business as a as a consultant just haven't been getting out and doing the usual typical exercise routine which is typically about an hour to hour and a half of quite high intensity just haven't been doing that Mm. so i can vouch for that personally and i know jess you have similar thoughts as well yeah definitely so if you just if you don't get that fitness in and get it in a day, it doesn't have to be hours and hours and hours, does it? We don't, we're not talking elite athlete here. It's just even 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day. Does yeah. that make a difference? Absolutely. You know, like those, those small gains add up to be big gains by, you know, the end of the week. Yeah. Um, it, it helps, yeah, your, your productivity, your mood, your sleep, everything. And, and, you know, if today I could only get in 30 minutes, that 30 minutes is going to be better than zero for me, yeah. guaranteed. Um, so, yeah. Even if it is just getting out for a quick run, quick walk, whatever it is, um, yeah. I always encourage people to do it. The only workout you regret is the one you don't do. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's <laughs> a good quote. That's like my other quote. Um, you only regret the things you don't do in life. Is that how it went? Always. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You'll never regret the things you don't do in life. Left. I'm chewing that one. I, I saw a, one recently, and it's actually a put it as a, a screensaver and it reminds me to do my workout and it's um it's from a mountain biker yeah it's we don't rise to the level of our expectations we fall to the level of our training and so whenever i'm having a bit of a lay day and i'm like oh, i just won't train today you know i'm a bit tired because of work i'll do it tomorrow and i open my phone to see what time it is and i see that and i'm like all right get on the bike quit making <laughs> excuses quit yeah. justifying it yeah so that's a good one for me that's a good one as well a uh, good little segue into inspiration. Who inspires you? Let's go for who inspires you in life and who inspires you in business? Um, or entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, inspires me in life would be Jax. Um, just to be a better person or be the best person I can every day for him and kind of everything that I'm doing um, or, you know, leaving a mark is essentially trying to set him up for later in life. So long-term, um, in business, uh, I would have to probably say my father-in-law because he's 69 now and he's still working. Um, and he works a lot of hours. He comes home on the weekend. He's still working. Um, and he's, he's quite successful businessman and he's just, um, yeah, very calm, cool and collected and and always seems to have it together. So, uh, I would say that have to be my two 
two inspirations. There's a lot to be said for guys that just show up year in, year out and just do their thing, isn't it? Like Yeah, and he never has anything negative to say. Like, I, I yeah. wish I had the mental capacity for that. Like, you know, yeah, it's... You can catch yourself sometimes throwing yourself a pity party and then you got to slap yourself around yeah. and pull pull out of it. I've, I've never really heard him say, you know, whinge about anything. It doesn't have anything negative to say about anybody else. And I think it's just such a good quality to yeah. to have. And so I really admire that. And and, and in business, he's still, you know, he could retire um, probably, but he doesn't. He just chooses to keep, keep working. So. Yeah. so he's enjoying it, very passionate about it. Yeah, he's just a go-getter. He doesn't want yeah. to settle. Which is probably the purpose behind business in the first place, isn't it? Or creativity and entrepreneurship. You've got to love it because you're going to have bad days and you've got to have that glass half full sort of attitude, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, it could be too, not wanting to stop because then you don't know what to do next. You know, when, you, when you're running your own business, there are, are no off days. You know, the phone's never turned off. It's a lot different to clocking in at nine, clocking out at five, um, yeah. you know, where you leave the responsibility at the door and go, no, it's not my problem. Call the owner. But that's my phone that's then ringing all, you know, <laughs> always or, or any business owner, you know, experiences that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to be said when you just keep, keep grinding away. Yeah. A little bit of advice there for our listeners. That's a lot of our listeners as well, are, you know, kind of side hustlers and maybe you want to take the leap someday as a full time creative or entrepreneur perhaps already business owners, what's your your best piece of advice for, for budding entrepreneurs or creatives? Definitely do your homework before you you know you jump in, but don't fear change. I think that's the biggest thing for people is we get comfortable with what's a steady paycheck or security. And it's that comfort that then is actually holding them back from being creative and taking that leap of faith to like, no, let's do this. You know, at the very worst, you take the shot you missed, you, you fall back to what you were doing. But everyone's afraid to take that shot because they're they're in that little bubble, that comfort zone. And so you, you just have to get out of the comfort zone, I think. Yep. So continually pushing those boundaries and yeah, I guess it's it's looking beyond your limitations, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. People have fixed beliefs about who they are and what they can achieve. So yeah. Yep punching through those barriers sometimes exactly same with fitness i guess when it comes to lifting weights and all the rest so yeah it was david goggins who said endurance is something like 90 percent mental and the rest is you know well he said when you're absolutely exhausted and you've got nothing left yep just remember you've still got about 60 percent left i think that's what mm. he says yeah so you know the 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 body will always go further than the mind yeah. is wanting to let it. And, and you can see that when you're training people, like they'll give up before their body will. So sometimes that's part of the challenge of being a trainer too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You have, you definitely have to be able to read those clients yeah. and know like, no, they've, they've kind of hit like capacity here or yeah. no, we're now just getting uncomfortable and yeah. they need to take that next step to, yeah. to really see, you know, the benefits. Yeah, some, uh, some uh, someone setting up in the gym. Right <laughs> yeah, we can hear him up. throwing plates around as we speak. Throwing <laughs> plates around, really realizing his limitations. But yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, Ryan, been awesome to chat. I think it's already gone one hour, and it, feel, it feels like one of those episodes where we could do a part two, especially with regard to fitness. And I'm sure there's a lot of fitness buffs that would love to go into detail, but we've only got an hour on the podcast. Uh, so we really thank you for your time today. Where can you go to keep following your story? And maybe look at offers for Surf Coast Pilates and TorqueFit. Um, so you can go to our website, TorqueFit.com or TorqueF1T.com. Um, also on socials, um, Instagram, Facebook, same thing. So just search TorqueFit, T-O-R-Q-F1T. Um, my personal account, um, if you want to be spammed with photos of basically me in uh, Lycra or my dog or Jax, uh, that's... Ryan underscore Rowell, so R-O-W-E-L-L. Cool. Yeah, cool. It's Thanks, Ryan. been awesome to chat. I'm sure you enjoyed that, Jess, and I hope a lot of our listeners enjoyed that as well. Some fascinating insights there and a cool story. Like, you're the third Californian, actually, that's been on our podcast as yeah. well. So appreciate your time, and thanks for being so open and honest with your answers today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, like I said, the time since we sat down has flown by. It feels like we just started... Um, so as you said, we might have to do a part two at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be uh, no doubt a spin class 
people coming into the spin class. Yeah, let's hope so. Unless this one gets zero downloads, then we won't do a part two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just where can we go to keep following Surf Coast Creative's journey and get links to today's episode and all the rest? Uh, so you will be on the Surf Coast Creatives website. That's surfcoastcreatives, all one word, dot com. And then we're across the Facebook and Instagram social media pages as well. Yeah, we've got a new thing. So if you give a, a review on iTunes, uh, we'll read out your review on the podcast and we'll give you a shout out. So if you're listening in today, then make sure you give a review of today's episode. Tell us what you thought. Five stars. Five Nine. stars, hopefully. We'll read out your review, good, bad or indifferent, and we'll give you a shout out. So if you could do that, it'd be great. Otherwise, Ryan, uh, any special offers at the moment? Well, I'll, I'll add to that. So if anyone leaves a review and a shout out to you guys on, on the podcast, um, I'll throw in a spin card. So 10, 10 spin classes in there. So oh, cool. get on there and leave some reviews. Awesome. I'm going to do a review. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> very generous offer. So yeah. uh, once again, Ryan, thanks for your time today. I hope you enjoyed the episode or the, the chat. So Thanks for your time and all the best for the rest of 2021. Thank you guys and likewise back at you.